0: Good morning. My name is Kelty. Welcome to Friends Church. Um, tomorrow, I think, is this day that I've heard called Blue Monday, I think it's called. It's the day after the holidays when credit cards show up and your statements are there. And people start to look at them and then realize they, ha- have, they had a wonderful Christmas holiday t- season, but now they have to pay their credit card. So it feels a little rich for me to show up here this morning um, and talk to you a bit about money. But that aside, I'm going to tell you a little bit about charitable giving. Oh, no, I'm panting a little from running up the side there um, at French Church. Much like I suspect many of us, Friends Church works on a budget. And the easiest way for it to budget is to have an understanding of the money coming in. We are an entirely self-funded organization. So it is through your generosity that we are able to come to you Sunday mornings, during the week, wherever it is that you receive Friends Church. That is through the generosity of the people who call this church home that are able to fund that experience. So one of the things that's easiest for our organization, because like any business, it has a budget, is to really know the money that's coming in. The easiest way for us to do that is pre-authorized giving. Of course, we are not obligating anybody to use preauthorized giving. We are more than happy to take your money anyway and anytime you'll give it, but if you're interested or if you haven't signed up for preauthorized giving, if you have been donating to the church on here and there, as you look at your own personal budgets this year, think about whether that's an option for you. Pre-authorized giving is a one-time-per-month, um, it goes on your credit card, and then it just easily comes to the church so they know the money that's coming in and can make decisions around that. There's other ways to give. They're all available through our app. You can also give a one-time donation. You can give to specific events that happen throughout the year. Or also, if you're here in person this morning, there's a black box at the back of the church. And we'll take it old school in a check or cash form as well. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And thank you so much for your support of Friends Church. It is through your generosity, as I said at the very beginning of this, that we're able to come to you. um, Whether you're here live, whether you're on the podcast or whether you just uh, you know, join throughout the week for various other activities. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Kelty. Good morning, everyone. And Happy New Year to you. I'm Jeff. If we haven't met, it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, I asked online this week, uh, posted a little blurb about this message today, and asked if, if uh, people out there looking at it uh, believe in hell. One guy responded, Nope. Hell is a human construct used as a tool for spiritual abuse and manipulation. I said, not disagreeing with you. (laughs) Uh, I got to be honest with you, this morning I'm going to do something that I internally vowed never to do. Uh, In fact, this will be the first time in 25 years of pastoring here at Friends Church that I've ever talked about this topic called hell. Um, For those reasons. I grew up in church, and uh, in a church and tradition that taught hell as a, as a real literal place waiting for people who screw up. And that, that's maybe a cross way of saying it, but man, I tell you, that was a message I heard. I remember one Friday night being at church, they showed this, it was the equivalent of a Christian horror movie, <laughs> maybe some of you were around during those days, but they had these movies, it was part of a trilogy that they showed. Um, one of them was called Thief in the Night. Hey, any Thief in the Night? Story? Oh, we have some people that saw them. All right. Still in recovery. All right. Yeah. Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder uh, was another one that showed. Anyways, I was about 10, 10 or 11, and I saw that movie. And it's really, it was just uh, like a reenactment of someone's vision for how this thing was going to play out in days. And uh, man, it was designed to scare the hell out of you. I remember coming home that night and I was so terrified. Like 10 years old, fearing for what might happen to me if I were to die, because I didn't know for sure if I was going into a dark, dark place. Oh, and there were so many things that that movie got going inside of me, anyways. It wasn't until like later on in my, I don't know, maybe early young, young adulthood, where I just began to think, man, this is messed up. There's, this, there's these fear tactics. People are getting into this game. People are showing up at church on Sundays. Because they are so freaked out about what might happen to them at the end. of Like, this is some way to mitigate that thing. I just remember thinking, it can't, there's something wrong about this. Anyways, as I began to pastor, I vowed, I said, no. No, there's just too much trauma around this thing. I don't know if that's really what this was about in the fir- first place. So I said, I, I don't want to do it. I don't think it's necessary The idea of using fear to manipulate people to follow some kind of spiritual belief just seems as screwed up as it can get. Those are just my thoughts. Here I am 25 years later and I'm talking about this thing because I think it can be talked about just in a different way. But if we're going to talk about it, I think the first thing we need to ask is where did this picture or this belief of hell come from? hell this hell concept where did it originate from and what is that picture to you you know what, what uh, the picture of hell i had growing up was this kind of this really dark and torturing environment in some underworld The bowels of some earthly crevice, very warm, (laughs) where souls would be banished and they would be tortured by some demon host of demons down there. Anyone else have some kind of version of that? Okay, in their mind. Okay, good. It's not just me. All right. Where did that come from? As I talk to a lot of people, they say, well, that's in the Bible. I go, really? Okay. Well, let's try to find it, shall we? And they go, oh, it is there. I say, oh, really? Have you read it? Well, I'm just pretty sure I was told that. I think many would be surprised by the answer to that question. Is it in the Bible? Where did it come from? Last week, Vince opened up this series called Fear Mongering, with a a primer on how our spiritual ancestors' beliefs have kind of evolved in the afterlife. Their belief in the afterlife has evolved. He talked about kind of the first epoch, at least of our spiritual ancestors. They didn't have a, a big belief in the afterlife. Once you died, you died. That was the concept. What you got here on earth is all you got. So the concept of hell after was not a part of their imagination. That's news for some. There's many I talk to who believe, no, no, this idea of a heaven or a hell after death here on earth is what everyone's, oh, no, no, didn't happen. For our earliest ancestors, there was kind of a mantra, man, you eat, you drink, and you be merry because tomorrow you may die. You live the best life you got make the most of this moment that you got right now that's kind of what you get even out of ecclesiastes sung solomon like these guys they just said man you got a moment savor this moment cuz there's no guarantees you got even tomorrow life is like a vapor Psst, and then it's gone When your number comes up, you will be laid to rest in Sheol. Vince talked about this concept, Sheol the grave, man. It was like you get laid in the grave, the grand mausoleum in the ground. It's lights out. For our earliest ancestors though, hell wasn't so much a place that you go to, but it was, a, it was actually a reality you could experience here on earth. Hell, you could create Hell. You could experience hell on earth. And they did. They, just like many parts of our world today, experienced earthquakes and tsunamis, floods, fires, drought. They experienced stillborn baby death. They experienced tragedy, unbelievable tragedy, disease, famines they would be first-hand witnesses to incredible crimes of humanity, people's lives being torn apart without any real warning and any real obvious rhyme or reason, even though they really wanted to make sense of the hell they were witnessing and experiencing. We... Often, even in insurance terms, they refer to many of these acts, these natural acts of disaster, as acts of God. Why would they call them acts of God? Back in that day, there was a very established understanding that so much of the tragedy, so many of the heartaches, the brokenness, the craziness that would happen in the world was, were truly acts of God. That the gods would get angry when someone was doing something wrong and would bring disaster upon the people. You do something that pisses off the gods and chances are something was gonna happen. And so there was this continual fear of what might happen if they did that. So they were were constantly trying to appease the gods, warding off problems and danger and harm to their families, their crops, their livestock. They would offer up offerings. In some cultures, they would even sacrifice a child if you can believe this if it meant warding off the wrath of the gods because i'm telling you someone do something wrong and there's judgment boy and it's instantaneous it's happening crazy times you didn't have to wait for the afterlife to experience hell man you could experience it right here and now But it wasn't just through natural disaster they could experience hell. They knew, too, that hell could be created by real people, real bad actors who lived with some kind of darkness in their heart. Selfish, greedy, power-hungry. People who could create misery and suffering for others. Hunger, emotional, mental, sexual, physical abuse. They watched that. Bad actors just... Ex- exposing people's vulnerability. Violence, war, death. Our ancestors, man, they were, they were familiar with hell on earth. And, as, and, and hell that was caused by actually other people. Forget the, the gods. Man, under the rule of bad kings and pharaohs, they were enslaved, living often their entire lives in uns- insufferable conditions. No hope of ever escaping. Can you imagine? Being under the thumb of someone and never ever being allowed to breathe, to have a decent life, freedoms that we would know every day here. Somehow they held on to this belief that the gods, God, would see the injustice that was going on around them and, and he, he would level the boom and he would punish those bad actors. Wipe, their, wipe out the evil man's crops, God. Take away his children, not ours. The Psalms, if you read through them, there are these heart-aching, heartbreaking prayers saying, why, why are you not getting that guy? There were many moments where they would watch hell break out and it was like, no. No, you got the wrong person. You got the wrong family. Many times they watched as injustices would play out. It seemed by the gods. Innocent people are dying here. That can't be right. It's no wonder that in the midst of this kind of senseless suffering, where these deep-down rules that they had kind of developed for how life was supposed to work out were being broken again and again, senseless suffering, that people began to imagine a new way of seeing the afterlife, where the injustices would all get sorted out. Maybe it doesn't work that way. Maybe something else is going on here. Last week, Vince shared about this big evolution Belief in the afterlife called resuscitation. This belief that after we die, maybe, maybe things don't get sorted out during our time here, but maybe it happens after we die. This evolution came to imagine that our physical bodies were actually given new life, they were resuscitated in the grave, like zombies coming out of the grave. All of a sudden, the good people are like, I'm back. And those bad people stay down. It's like, yeah, maybe that's what's going to go down. Maybe it's not this chapter. Maybe it's the next chapter. And all of a sudden, we come alive. And those bad actors, man, they stay dead. They stay in Sheol. Oh, what, a, what an amazing thought for the innocent suffering all the people that had bad things go wrong, going, hey, wait a second, we're gonna get our chance. I'm gonna see my kid again. And this life that was stolen from us by these people, we get it back and they are gonna stay dead. Oh man, can you imagine? This was called the resuscitation and this was was a whole new development in belief in the afterlife. At this point in, in, in human history, hell was Sheol. It was a permanent sentence to death for the bad actors. There was no comeback, there was no do over. That's the vision that the resuscitation gave for people of hell. But as Vince mentioned last week, there were other understandings of the afterlife that came along. At the time that Jesus walked the earth, the Roman Empire was literally steamrolling the entire world. They were swallowing up country and, 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 and after country. They were like this massive domination machine. Greco-Roman thought and philosophy was taking over. A guy named Plato, 4th century BCE. He was, he was teaching and, and, and casting, promoting ideas of the afterlife that were really catching on, like Fire. One belief that swept through was the belief that the body and the soul are two separate concepts. They're separate entities. Oh, sure, you may die. Your body stays in the grave. How many times people would have this belief that bodies would come alive? it would be assassinated one day, but then they'd see these skeletons everywhere. Like, wait a second, something's not right about that. Plato comes along and says, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, your body, your physical body stays dead, but your spirit comes alive and lives on forever. How many were raised with that kind of belief and still hold that belief? The idea that, hey, okay, yeah, your body might stay dead, but your spirit comes alive. Did you know that 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 wasn't necessarily Christian thought? That was actually Greco-Roman thought. This idea, man, we will live on, our souls will live on forever. Wow, that's awesome. But that presented a problem. Because if that's actually how it goes down, then what about the bad actors' souls? What about the evil people on? Are you telling me their soul is living forever too? You tell me they're getting a a do-over on this? I'm going to see them again, and we got to just play nice? What about the justice in that? But in the development of this belief, there came some other things that could maybe fix that problem. There's a word that appears in the Bible. In fact, it appears 11 times in the books that were written around this period of time. Platonic thought. And and, and this word seems to address some of the problems. In the original Koine Greek, it's the word Gehenna. Some modern English translations, they translate the word Gehenna as hell. Here's a verse in Matthew that was attributed to Jesus saying, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. No sweat. They can't touch your soul. Mm-mm. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or the word Gehenna. Gehenna was this place, they believed, where soul and body could literally be wiped out. It was like lights out there. You go you get sent to Gehenna and there's no coming back. There's no zombie reappearing after that one at some point. It's dead dead. This new belief in Greek philosophy, man, it seemed to fix this problem of getting away with hurtful things during your time on earth. You live selfish, you hurt others, you cheat and steal. Don't worry, Oh, you may fool people now, but you ain't fooling God. He has a special place for you. What's interesting is this thought kind of began to evolve too. There was this growing belief that rather than just being lights out in Gehenna, people's souls would actually be punished. So it's not just go night-night, Hitler. No, no. No. I got some plans for you. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, good. Jesus tells a parable. It's interesting. He says there was a rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. Man, this guy was living in luxury. Every day he walked by a, by a poor guy named Lazarus. Lazarus is in a world hurt. He had open sores on his body. The Bible talks about it. Dogs would come and lick his open wounds. The guy was just in misery. But this rich man would just turn a blind eye to him. Didn't give a rip about Lazarus. He had more important things to do than worry about him. Anyways, in the story, Jesus says, one day the poor man and the rich man both die. The poor man is, is carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also dies and is buried. But he went to a different place. He went to the place of the dead. Gehenna. Around the same time. Okay, so here they are. They're they're in these two places. It's interesting this picture that Jesus creates. Somehow they're not that far away because the rich man there in Gehenna, starts talking to Abraham who's sitting right next to the poor guy who's in heaven, it seems, according to this picture that Jesus tells. He's going, hey, Abraham, send Lazarus over here, man, I'm burning up. Send him over here so he can dip his, his finger in some water and, and cool my tongue. This is the story Jesus is telling So Abraham responds to him. He says, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. You lived the way you wanted. Lazarus here had nothing. Now he is here being comforted. And you're in anguish. Tables are turned. Interesting what he says next. He says, then the rich man says, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. Because I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. You know, here's a parable of Jesus that clearly reflects the evolution of people's belief in some kind of hell some kind of post-death experience. I'm sure it was an encouraging picture for some, for some that were under the thumb of oppression, some who had never lived their lives in any stretch of the imagination that was nice, who suffered. This parable was kind of looking at them going, hey, one day. The hope that it might have given some who knew when Jesus walked away that day they were going back to the miserable life and existence of Roman oppression. Losing their farms to this massive political system. Somehow giving them strength to face another day. I don't know. I think perhaps it also left some people nervous thinking about their choices, the things they were doing right now, the way that they were living. This is a new development, kind of in that epoch of life. It was going, hey, look, there's going to be some kind of reckoning. It's going to be a judgment day. Jesus, in his parables, he seemed to have a kind of a judgment day concept. It's like, hey, You're gonna answer for something. Be careful. But let me tell you something. The picture that we get from the Bible, and I mean, that is about as as close as I could get to anything that is even remotely close to what we're watching in movies and we're hearing about in, in, in popular mainstream horror shows about this burning hell that's in some recess. That's as close as we got. Most of what we picture in our minds today is this terrifying underworld where people, man, you screw up, and there's some kind of burning, torturing, eternity waiting for you. That is a figment of people's incredible, incredible imaginations. And it really came about much later. That through the Middle Ages, 14, 1500s, man, that thing got steam. I think some church leaders figured out, man, this, self. Oh, hey, we can get people doing amazing things if we really ratchet this up. I didn't even want to go into all the stuff that has been talked about and imagined around the concept of hell that is just so unbiblical, because it has led to all kinds of trauma and manipulation and bad things. Which I guess leads me back to why I have little desire up to this point to talk about hell. Like The question is, what, what, is, the constru- what is the constructive conversation around this topic? I mean, if so much of what we understand of hell was just made to scare people, good, well-meaning people, Why even do it? Down deep, we've been talking about this, these concepts for a while, going, ah, okay, so what is the value of this thing? Is there a part of this discussion about hell that is helpful for the modern spiritual journey? I was so emphatically convinced that there wasn't. Now I'm starting to wonder if maybe there isn't some value to this conversation in a more than literal way. For me, as I begin to look back at these epochs of time, these, these major developments in human history around these notions, I think if you look into them and you think about their own experiences and how they viewed the world and what it did for them, I think there probably is some real value, some takeaway for us even today without it causing the trauma, without, without it causing any kind of form of manipulation. I mean, I think about that earliest... Epoch of human history, where they believed this is all we got, there is no afterlife. for some that's really unsettling. if you've grown up with this idea, Oh no, heaven's waiting for us okay, that's fine. No one knows how this thing all plays out after we die. but imagine if this was all we had, how different we would might we might live our lives. We got this this is it. I can't help but think we would live with a little more urgency than we do, huh? It's like, man, I was raised in a tradition, man. This is just the intro. Man, when this, when our time on Earth ends, man, now we're onto the real thing. So people are just hunkered down, waiting for the storm to blow over. Take me now, I don't know why they don't just slit the wrists and get onto the next, I, I don't know. I don't, we always used to joke like that. It's, it's like this, this time on Earth serves zero purpose. I already know where I'm going. Let's get on with the party. So they just sit around and complain about everything that's broken in the world. It's kind of like the difference between Disney World season pass holders and those that have a three-day pass. Right? Right? <laughs> Season pass, always oh, they show up, the lineups are bad. Oh, this sucks. I'm going to write the park. They're, they're selling too many passes to this place. Look at those staff. They've been driving me nuts. Every time we come in here, look at that guy. He's, they're just just caught up in the drama all around them and looking for uh, reasons why they should be treated special. And, ah, I'm going home. That's it. I'll come back another time. But boy, those families have three days. <laughs> they, they are selfies everywhere. They're running in line. They're like, you didn't believe this. Have you tasted the food? Oh, this is unbelievable. That ride was amazing. They are s- squeezing every amount of life out of their three-day experience. I sometimes wonder if that little bit of approach doesn't get created by this is all we got. I think another effect the believing that this is all we have and hell on earth can be created that concept i've often thought about in terms of you know like i'm not an overly superstitious guy but i i have to believe because i've experienced it we tend to reap what we sow you love largely in this world, it's amazing how love finds its way back into your life through those around you. You live selfishly, you hoard, you claw and scratch and grab for everything that you got. Life has a way of taking stuff away from you. It has a way, and it's not necessarily just financial You, have a, you find that your life ends up lacking more and more. Life just has a way of saying, you want to play that game, and it will come back. You be a bad actor in this world, chances are, in one way or another, it's coming back. Hell on earth. And probably not just for someone else you'll get your reward. I've been thinking about it too, those people who had to watch the misery of the innocent. Those people who really truly believed in justice here and now, who then ended up not always seeing it happen the way they thought it should. And how they were forced to somehow get up and continue living regardless. I don't know about you, but in my short life, I've watched a lot of injustice happen where life is messy, thing bad things happening to good people. Times when I was certain that this should go this certain way, and then it doesn't at all. And the muscle that can be developed in the middle of all that, to be able to accept that sometimes life is just unfair. That muscle to be able to say, and still I'm going to get up today and I'm going to be this kind of person despite the injustice I watched or I experienced. Watch this in families, even within our own community, when something terrible has happened to you. And there's no rhyme or reason, even though we've tried to make sense of it all. There's no making sense of it. And that muscle to be able to live with a level of acceptance. Saying, oh, but I'm, I'm okay. I think that the people in their earliest epoch of human history had that in spades. And I, I want that for me. I want to be able to, because... Every day I'm watching things that don't make sense. That I cannot explain. That I go, "Ah, no, no, shouldn't be that way. But it is. Hell on earth has a way of forcing us to wrestle with all kinds of different perspectives we have of how life should happen and shouldn't. Maybe, maybe this is a current chapter for you right now. You're going, man. I'm really struggling with something that went down here because there's nothing fair about that. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, boy. That that earliest epoch. This this is it. This is all we get, and we can create heaven. We can create hell. Sometimes hell just happens. And we gotta kind of navigate our way through it, and make the most of this moment, not get hung up with the, inter- man, I tell you, I, I resonate with that a lot. I feel that that's where I'm, I'm sitting in these moments, so many moments lately. But looking ahead to this other chapter of human history, This belief in hell in the afterlife. Just even the concept more than literally. Can it be valuable? You know, I I keep being drawn back to that parable that Jesus talked about with this rich man and then Lazarus. And that rich man saying, look at I've got... I got five members of my family who right now are probably falling into the same trap I have. Could someone go back and warn them so they don't live the way I lived? So they don't ignore the the suffering around them? They live a little different. Can someone just go back and warn them? I think The parables that Jesus talked about, even of the afterlife, was not meant to drive people into fear and paranoia that somehow they might be messing up and an eternal punishment was waiting for them when they die. I don't think that was the whole purpose of his parable there. I think he was using this as a warning to say, let me tell you what matters most. uh, Let let me warn you about a certain way of being in this world. Because people seem to get disoriented. They start living so about themselves that they start neglecting the real world around them. I think the whole purpose of Jesus talking about this concept was saying live with the sense that one day there might be an accounting for your actions. That idea that perhaps at some point I got an answer for the way that I treated my fellow man around me. Whew, there's gravity behind that, isn't there? It has a way of sharpening me up. It has a way of kind of pouring a little bit of a cup of cold water on my head, of saying, snap out of this, Jarvis. Little narcissistic lately, little caught up on what it is you need. I wonder if the parables, even the sheep and the goat, where Jesus says one day we're going to be divided into like two groups sheep and goats, and the king or the the guy in charge is going to say, Oh, you guys, well done. Because I was in prison and you came and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was, I was naked and you clothed me. But you over here, you, you ignored me. And they're all scratching their head going, what? What are you talking about? We never did that to you. He says, yeah. See, when you did it to the least of these people, you were doing it to me. Jesus tells these parables. Is he trying to say, oh, yeah, one day it's all good. No, I think he was saying, careful how you live. I don't think he was trying to promote some kind of torture in the afterlife. He's saying, wake up. Maybe live in a different way. I don't know. I don't know. So, what do you do with all this? Do whatever you want with it. What do I do with it? I don't know. Sometimes, I, lately, I've been asking some questions. Do I need to live with a little more urgency? like those people in that first epoch? If this is all I got, am I squandering the time I have? Am I treating it like it's just endless? Can I be reminded my life is like a vapor, make the most of this moment I got? Maybe I need to practice more acceptance to life's random accidents and injustices. Maybe I need to get more comfortable with the fact that life doesn't always just reward the best and punish the worst. Sometimes it doesn't. And maybe there's a level of acceptance I need to practice when life doesn't turn out the way that I thought it was supposed to. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, perhaps, what I'm needing is a stiff warning that I might be creating hell for someone right now. And I need to stop. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe it's that someone is experiencing a, level, a living hell right now, and I might need to play some kind of help or rescue. I need to take my finger and dip it on their tongue and cool them and help them in some real way. I don't know. You know, if you're listening here this morning and... Just talking about any of this concept of hell just brings back some ugly memories. I, I, I gotta tell you, I'm with you. And I'm sorry for some of that that's gone down. We're trying to find a new way forward. Get away from the manipulation and the, and the guilt and the trauma to talk about something that might have a way of shaping a way we live today in this world. And uh, so maybe, maybe you can take some, one of these things away this morning. I pray that regardless of your conception of hell, how you view this life and perhaps the next life, that perhaps whatever hold whatever conception you hold that somehow it will guide you into a healthier way of being in this world. It'll be inspiring. That's my prayer for you. Yeah, that's all I got. Let me pray for you. I, this has been my prayer this week, God. I I know that. I can create something beautiful or something very damaging and hurtful right now here. And I just pray that I would be just so mindful of my choices, the effect that I'm having, those around me. God, I pray as I look over my life that I would live with a level of attention, urgency, and care, leading to something beautiful here and whatever else lies beyond. I pray that in your name, amen. Have a great, great week, you guys.